love that verse. He was crossed from death to life. Are you excited to be in church today? I'm excited to be here. If you're in the room or watching online, if you're on vacation, we're jealous. Wish you were here with us. But we are entering our 20th week in a row of studying John's Gospel. So if you have a Bible, meet me in John chapter 10. And as you're turning there, I want to give you some encouragement from St. Augustine as he entered teaching the very same text that we are going to study today. Here's what he wrote, and it'll be on the screen for you so you can follow it. He said this, Beloved, you ought steadfastly, right? We're 20 weeks in and we got all the way till December to go. He said, You ought steadfastly to bear in mind that St. John the Evangelist would not have us always be nourished with milk, but fed with solid food. Still, whoever is hardly able as yet to partake of the solid food of God's Word, let him find nourishment in the milk of faith. And the Word which he cannot understand... Let him not hesitate to believe, for faith is the deserving, understanding the reward. In the very labor of intent, showing up, diving in, right? The very labor of intent, the application, the eye of our mind struggles to get rid of the foul films of human mists. Anybody living in the foul films of human mist these days? And to be cleared up to the Word of God. Labor, then, will not be declined if love is present. For no labor is grievous to those who love it. That was a long, lofty way to say it is worth just showing up and diving into the Word of God. Do you believe that today? I know I do. You might wonder why we're spending so much time in one book of the Bible. And I think Augustine captures why I chose to spend so much time in one book of the Bible. I desire as your pastor that you would love the labor of the Word. Does that make sense? That it would actually be the journey of getting to know your Lord at an intimate level that would bring you back excited every time. Knowing Jesus, abiding in Him, finding that place of freedom in your Good Shepherd, as we learned last week. So, keep going. Keep showing up, keep reading, keep Going because we get to today and it's almost a repeat of last week when we learned about Jesus being the good shepherd. No doubt you growing up or you when you became a Christian or you when you went to the Christian bookstore when those used to exist saw a fluffy t-shirt or a very nice mug that said I am the good shepherd. And we love that, and that sounds so nice, right? 
But what did we learn last week? And this is going to be on the screen. So Scott, if you'll jump ahead to that one before I go back to the verse, throwing him off. We learned last week that truth always what? Talk to me. Can you read? It's not up there. Go back. It always divides, right? Truth always divides. How can he be a good shepherd and be? Because see, see, here's the thing about divide. That same word is divisive, right? How can he be a good shepherd and be causing divide? How's that even possible? How does my coffee mug relate to my life? Because where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, it was on the heels of him saying, I am the light of the world. And if you'll follow me, you'll never walk in darkness, but have eternal life. And what we've been building on over the past few weeks is why is it so hard to realize in your life that you can never walk in darkness? How do I get that? And underpinning all of that for weeks has been this idea that there is a truth. And that truth divides. But if you go to John chapter 10... And we go to verse 22, on the heels of what just happened, they weren't sure if Jesus was demon-possessed, they weren't sure if he was God, they were confused, but they were definitely upset that he was acting like he was God, and that's where we find ourselves. And so in verse 22, the scripture says that it was at the time of the Feast of Dedication that took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter, come back to that in a minute. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple. So you get the picture here. He's now moved from outside into the temple. He's walking in the colonnade of Solomon, this majestic, beautiful, big pillars. Think all the things. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, and I want you to really ponder this question with me this morning. How long... Will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, why don't you just tell us plainly? Because all the miracles before (laughs) weren't clear enough, apparently. So Jesus is going to double down here on what he did last week. And it really springboards out of that statement that truth always divides. But don't let it slip from your view before we move past it that John points out that it's winter. What a random detail to be landing here in this story. Because I don't know about you, but in my mind last week it wasn't winter. It was hot, it was the desert. That's just kind of the way I think about the Middle East. I don't even know what winter's like in the Middle East. I have no idea. But for some reason, which I think becomes clear as we read, the Jews are gathering around Jesus in the temple in the winter. Not desiring the truth, but instead preparing a defamation. Right? Multiple times Jesus has escaped their stoning. He's escaped their murderous threats and so we come back to augustine's words as he continued to expound on this 
And here's what he had to say about that, and I think it's really important as we dive in this morning. It'll be on the screen for you. It says, it was winter, and they were chill. Because they were slow to approach that divine fire. Why? Because to approach is to believe. He that believes approaches. But he who denies retires or backs away. Look at this next statement. The soul is not moved by the feet, but by your affections. They had become icy cold to the sweetness of loving him. And they burned with the desire of doing him harm. They were far away and yet right beside him. It was not with them a nearer approach in believing, but the pressure of persecution. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, but I want you to think through. The soul is not moved by the feet, but by the affection. They become icy cold to the sweetness of loving him. If I were to ask you where you are on that same spectrum today, what would you say? Have you become cold to the sweetness of loving him? When's the last time that you felt the ping in your heart of the sweetness of loving Jesus? He goes on here in verse 25, and Jesus always has an answer. How many of you know Jesus always has a good answer? And here's what he says in John 10, 25. Jesus answered them, I told you... And you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe. Here it is. Because you are not among my sheep. And that's kind of where we landed last week is how do I know if I'm in the sheep? How do I know if I'm a sheep? And Pastor Tim did a great job explaining that last week, but I was really hoping he would sing the song. Anybody else hoping he would sing the song that he mentioned last week? I just want to be a sheep, ba, 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 right? Like, that's a fantastic song. So I'm going to ask him to come up and sing right now. (laughs) He won't do it. Can you believe that? Shaming his son right here on Sunday. But why is that such a good song? Why do we teach that to our kids? Because in reality, you and I don't want to be a sheep. Right? Sheep are dumb. He wouldn't say it last week because he was, he's just nicer than I am. But I don't care what you think about me, so here we are. Alright? Sheep are dumb, right? Sheep need the shepherd. Not just because they're dumb, but because they were created to need that in their life. And so there were times when the shepherd would take his rod and strike the sheep. Why? Right? Like that scripture in Proverbs that talks about not sparing your child from the rod isn't a scripture to allow you to beat your kids. That's not the point. (laughs) The shepherd loved those sheep and he would strike that sheep because if the sheep associated walking that way with pain, they'll never walk that way. So God's going to allow you, right? We ended last week in Psalm 23. My favorite part of that is God will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. It doesn't say he'll 
walk you away from your enemies. It says he'll prepare a table for you and him to dine at in the presence of your enemies. What's better than being with your good shepherd in the presence of your enemies? See, I think a lot of times we're wishing that our enemies would go away when God's inviting you to sit at the table with him in front of them. What shows the power of God in your life more than stepping right into the presence of your enemies, but with your shepherd? Because the scripture says, greater is the one who is in you than he who is in the world. So if I step to that table with him, it's a completely different scenario than if I conjure up what I'm capable of doing. But therein lies the rub. I don't want to be a sheep, ba, 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 ba. I want to be a sheep. Right? What are we talking? I'm the head, not the tail. <laughs> right? I'm a lion. <laughs> Got one tattooed on my arm because I'm a lion. I'm just kidding. It says Revelation 5 right under it. Relax. Why do we do that though? Because there is, listen to me, I'm not just downplaying those desires in your heart. And I think you need to hear this. It's not all bad what God's put in you. However, who we're coming from and who we're going for totally changes whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, doesn't it? It does. Some of you are great leaders. Some of you are great motivators. Some of you are great teachers. Some of you are great doctors. Some of you are great computer people. Some of you are great students. Some of you are great at what you do. And there's a reason because God has given every single one of his sheep gifts. And so we learned that last week. And so it's important for us to know that those desires in us can be good. But if they're left without the shepherd, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And so Jesus is building that case. He says, I told you these things, but you don't believe. And I just think when I look at my life, there are things that, listen to me, there are things in here that I, that I know are true. But with my life, I, I don't really believe them yet. Why? Because there's still a lot of Mitch left in me. Right? Like we could talk about the ones that say, if you lay down your life, you'll find it. I've done that a few times, and it was great. But man, I still hang on to control of my life. And I just... I know it's true, (laughs) but living that out is a different story. And I I think we could go on and on, right? Some of you are struggling right now to understand what God's doing in your life. And yet the scripture says that if God loves the lilies of the field and see how beautifully he clothes them, will he not take care of you much more? Like I know that, but when that plug gets pulled... And I'm suddenly faced with difficulty. It's hard. It's really hard. And so Jesus is building this case that they don't actually believe. But look at what he says. Because you're not among my sheep. But look at verse 27. This is the key to the whole thing. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. 
And what did that do in their heart? Look, they melted and followed the shepherd. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. You and I read that and we're like, yeah, God is strong and he's mighty. Our God's a mighty warrior. We, we just go there, right? Because we've been trained. What did it do in their heart? Look at it. In verse 30, I and my father are one. 31, their response to that is what? The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Truth divides. Truth divides. We need, listen to me, we need the division that truth creates. We need the clarity. We need the purification. We need the cleansing of truth with, within our soul because without it, we can't see. Without it, we are, as James tells us in his epistle, prone to just float around in every wave of cultural doctrine that comes along, whether it's religious or secular. We're just prone to be tossed about by every But the stunning clarity of this passage is, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. Now listen, most of us have read that passage before. And most of us read it right and then internalized it wrong. What happens most of the time, and I had to like, I had to like confess this this week to the, to the Holy Spirit. I, like, I probably quoted this verse to you all, like at least 50 times in the last seven years. But when I internalize that verse, here, here's how we typically will read that, but then what we internalize is, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, and they follow me. But that's not what it says, is it? That's bad theology. <laughs> it doesn't say, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me, does it? That's how most of us live that passage. I, I can hear God's voice and I'm going to know God and then I'm going to follow God. That's not what it says, is it? This is how we just start to distinguish. This is where truth divides. This is where truth brings clarity. How do I know if I'm a sheep or not? How do I know if I'm in God's fold? Look at what it says. It says, my sheep hear my voice and what? I know them. You see, that's how he does the keeping. This has nothing to do with what you do in your quiet time, though you should do your quiet time. Right? This is where later on we're going to talk about abiding in Christ in John 15. This is the difference. Abiding in Christ is him working in you. (laughs) It's not what you're doing to get to know him. Huge difference. In fact, some of you, that probably makes you feel uncomfortable. But God is not only the first mover, he's always the mover. Because remember what he said in John 15, apart from him, you can do how much? Nothing. That's significant for you and I because we typically live our life as though I need to get to know God. But when I think about my relationship with my kids, I almost always seek them out and that begins to stir their affections, right? And then eventually they start to seek me out, but not because I sought them out, not because they sought me out, because I'm always seeking them out, that it stirs their affections, it changes the things that they love so that they eventually 
become one with the Father, right? Remember what Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would become one like he and the Father are one. All of this stuff is connected. But it starts here. My sheep hear my voice and I know them because in our Western mindset, we don't live that way. We hear his voice because he knows us. And as a result, we follow him. Jesus is God. He and the Father are one. All who come in through that gate of truth are forever saved, never to perish from the Father's hand, never to walk in darkness. To those who know Jesus, this is good news. But listen, if you don't know him, that feels like a threat. Because all of a sudden, all these cultural values over here that we think are great, aren't great. They weren't how we were made. They weren't what we were designed for. And therefore, we stand in between these things and we have a choice to make. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But what happens when you step over here and you follow Jesus? Now you're sitting at the table in the presence of your enemies. Right? It's easier to step over here and do what everybody else is doing. And it's only going to get worse, by the way. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. But that's why Jesus, the good shepherd, says with clarity, when you step over here and follow me, because I know you, I've called you by name, before the foundations of the earth, I've predestined you to know me. In that place, you sit with him at the table in the presence of your enemies. Huge difference. Huge difference in how you're going to live your life. Because when you go to work, not everybody over here is a sheep, ba 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 ba, right? We're just not. We're just not. And so, super, super important. But isn't it interesting that as that truth becomes clear, the Jews pick up stones to stone him. They're not encouraged by this. They don't feel strength by this. They're threatened by this. Jesus has healed people. He set them free. But murder was on their hearts. Have you ever looked at a cultural issue and thought to yourself, how can any human being believe that that is good? We could, we could list ten. And this is why. Clarity on what is right and true often means we don't get to do what we want to do. Look at verse 32. They're picking up stones to stone him. And look at what Jesus says to him. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Jesus never got in trouble for what he did. (laughs) Always got in trouble for what he said. Because it's the truth that always divides, right? The Jews answered him. It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Wow. And there it is. The soul is not moved by the feet, but by the affections. What's really happening here is we love to be God. You see, there's going to come a moment like it does for them where he comes riding into town 
to Hosanna, save now, blessed be the God of Jacob. And in a short few moments later, they're shouting something completely different, right? Crucify him. Because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. But that's not what the text says, right? It says, my sheep hear my voice because I know them. God's not doing your bidding. There's a huge difference. Jesus was God become a man. And so you go on to verse 34 and you look what starts to happen here. Jesus answered them, it's not written in your law. I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the work. That you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, truth divides and they sought to arrest him. But he escaped from their hands like a ninja. I added that part. Listen, in our secular moment right now, there's no greater invitation than the one that Jesus just made to them 2,000 years ago. He says, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe in me. We've said that before here, right? If Jesus isn't who he says he is, then we're all wasting our time. We're all wasting our time. But if I do them, even though you don't believe in me, Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Listen, we'd be adrift in those waves that James talked about if we didn't recognize the prerogative of Jesus here and then our privilege in his prerogative. The prerogative of Jesus is equality with the Father. He is God and therefore he gets to make claims on our life. Our privilege is simply this, to fellowship with that shepherd. What a privilege. But it's only a privilege if you know him. If he, better yet, knows you. The Jews were so caught up in who gets to be God that they missed God. The relevance to our lives is subtle and yet really palpable. Don't lose me on this. We're so caught up in playing God that we can't seem to hear his voice anymore. We're so capable, we're so busy, we're so distracted, we're so in a hurry to do our will and not His will, building our kingdoms and not His kingdom. It's no wonder that Jesus said the narrow road has very few people on it. But, there's always hope, to those who hear the voice of Jesus and are following Him, this is a word of great hope of great joy, of great comfort, the clarity of truth in our unbridled times is actually a great gift. Actually a great gift. Because while everybody in our moment is trying to please everybody and in return pleasing nobody, now we don't know who to vote for. Now we don't know who to listen to. Now we don't know what channel to watch. And all the things that are over here. Jesus is preparing a table. The good shepherd is preparing a table. And he's inviting you to come sit at the table. 
I'm going to have the band come up and I just want them to play over you. And I want to read something to you as we close. I want you to consider what the same writer, St. John, wrote towards the end of his life as he was exiled on an island called Patmos. And he received a vision from God that would become the book of Revelation. And John, writing to a certain church in a place called Laodicea, records God's word specifically to them, and it's obviously recorded for us. But the church in Laodicea found themselves in a really similar place to what we find ourselves in. A very similar place like ours. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, here's what John, on behalf of Jesus, writes to them. I know your works. You are neither cold or hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. God would prefer that you be one. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. But why? He's not just mean. (laughs) Why? This is important for us. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. All the while not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Listen to that. For you say, I am rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. If we were to look at your life from the outside, could you say that? Probably. I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. I've built a kingdom that supplies my needs. Not realizing with one phone call. Not realizing with one diagnosis. Not realizing with one job loss. Not realizing with one child who walks away from the faith. Not You name it. It only takes but an instant to realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Friends, if we were ever guilty as a people, would it not be this same lukewarmness? Do you find it difficult to look with God at the people around you? And love them as Jesus did? I do. I'm not pointing fingers today. Our lives are wrapped up in the world that we live in. But Jesus is standing there. John says elsewhere in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open the door, the scripture says he'll come in and he'll dine with you. Remember that table? The enemies aren't going to go away. But Jesus is willing to join you at the table. Though we cannot see Jesus face to face right now, we are still faced with the same choice those Jews were 2,000 years ago. To hear the voice of Jesus. When you hear the voice of Jesus, you can choose to suppress Him and kill His voice in your soul you can follow 
That's the choice. So when we sing in a minute, this idea that I see a victory, it's aspirational. (laughs) We know that He's already won. He defeated death, hell, and the grave at the cross and when He rose again. That does not mean that you are experiencing that. Which will it be for you? Because there has to come a moment, there has to become a time, there has to become a reason, there has to become a place, right? All through the Old Testament we see them setting up monuments to be reminded of what God did. It's so easy to forget what God did. Why did they do that? Because they had these moments where they saw, where they heard, where they tasted and saw that the Lord was good. And I just wonder how many of us are suppressing His voice so we can't hear Him. It's just, I think, you know, even today about what He said to Martha and Mary, right? Martha, Martha, you're busy doing many things, but Mary chose what's better. So I just wrote four things down here at the end that I just want you to consider as you listen to the music and as we sing this song about victory, hopefully a victory that you desire. I just wrote four words down with question marks behind each one. I just invite you to think about them today. Repent. Is there something you need to repent of? See, sin gets in the way of your relationship with God. We don't like to talk about sin, but the reality is, is we're sinners. That's why we needed a Savior. Do you need to repent today? Is there something you're doing and you know you're doing it? You need to turn from your sin and follow Jesus. He's calling to you today. Will you listen? The second one I wrote down is surrender. Is there an area of your life that you just are holding from the Lord? God, you can't have it. You wouldn't say that to Him, but you're living that way. You need to surrender Open hands, God, everything I have is yours. All of my kingdom is your kingdom. Do with it as you will. Maybe it's your kids. You surrender your kids to the Lord. Is it baptism? You're going to be scheduling those soon. You need to go public with your faith. You're keeping that to yourself. It's not a it's not a keep to yourself thing. The third one I wrote down is listen. Maybe you're so busy that you don't have time to listen. You can't hear God's voice because you don't give Him any time. Maybe it's time to listen. And then the last one I wrote down is for all of us. It's to respond. Will I respond? Will I respond to His voice in my life? That ultimately is up to you because... It takes the Spirit's working in your life, right? So we come all the way back to where we started with Augustine. Our soul is not moved by our feet. There's nothing you're going to do today with your feet. There's nowhere you can go. (laughs) It's the counterintuitive nature of the gospel. Jesus is found in that quiet place. Found in that still, small voice. He's found in the Holy Spirit moving in your heart to do what He's called you to do. 
You don't need a crazy production. You don't need a big altar call. You need to surrender to the Holy Spirit of God in your life. What's He saying to you? He'll say it to you in your conscience. He'll say it to you in your heart. He'll whisper those sweet words of loving Him. You'll know. You'll know the prompting of the Spirit in your life. It's often uncomfortable. (laughs) But man, is it worth following? So the question is, where's your soul? Where's your soul? Won't be found in your feet. Found in the sweet whispers of God to your heart. So why don't you stand with me? I just feel like it's one of those moments where we're supposed to pray with each other. We've been doing this from time to time. And if you're new to church or you're new to praying, you're going to feel super awkward in about 10 seconds. And I want you to know that it's not awkward. Every single one of us in this room wants the same thing. To know the Father. To know Jesus more. And here's what I also know. Every single one of you, myself included, has something we're praying about. Or something that we know we should be praying about. Something, some burden that you're carrying. And what Scripture says is the way we fulfill the law of Christ is to carry each other's burdens. And so I just want to give you two minutes to just grab somebody nearby if you feel so led. Maybe you just need to kneel at your seat. Maybe you need to come up here and kneel. Maybe you need to grab a pastor. I'm here. Jerome's in the back. Pastor Tim's in the back. Our other elders are floating around. We'd love to pray with you. Listen, just quit wasting your time. Showing up and checking a box at church is a waste of time. It's time to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. What's he saying? saying to you. Let's just take two minutes, grab somebody near you, and let's pray. You can pray out loud, all around the room. Go for it. If you're near somebody that you know needs prayer, go grab them and just pray over them. And let's do that for the next few minutes. And then I'll come back and close us in prayer and then we'll sing our way out. Come on, let's pray.